electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make it so you don't lose too much money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Russia invades Ukraine without regard for civilian casualties. China's back in lockdown mode for key cities that are deeply linked with U.S. commerce, especially tech. After years of easy money, the Fed will start raising rates this week to stem inflation. Long-term rates, the ones the Fed doesn't control, zoomed higher in a horrendous bond market. Meanwhile, the economy is taking a real hit from higher oil prices, and earnings may not be as robust as they've been thanks to rising oil costs and the labor shortage. If that weren't enough, today we had a so-called death cross for the S&P 500, where the 50-day moving average closed below the 200-day moving average. For those of you who are technically inclined, that's real bad. It's one of the worst moments I can recall in ages, with massive breakdowns in almost everything tech. Hence, today's action, Dow closed up just one measly point. S&P lost 0.74%, but the Nasdaq continues to be pummeled, this time down 2.04%. Even after the belt, we had devastating losses, like that of Coupa Software, a once red-hot cloud procurement play. Lost 25% off value off a kind of a small forecast miss. Yeah, it's that kind of market. Not just a tough market. It's an awful market. But at times like these, what do I do? I always like to focus on what could go right because everyone's taking the negative side of the story. Everything I just told you, everyone knows and trades all the time. Too many bears. Even if everything keeps going wrong, can at times mean too much negativity versus the fundamentals. As you will hear with tonight's guess, including a semiconductor company that's growing at twice its, uh, actually, you could say arguably three times its PE. So, what about what could go right? Let's take a look. Number one. Well, we could get a break in the Russian war against Ukraine. I would say it's possible, but recent history suggests it's unlikely. When you look at Russia's behavior in the two uh, Chechen wars or its more recent involvement in Syria, you see a reckless disregard for human life. Putin got away with it in Chechnya because he shut down the press and our government gave him a free pass because Chechnya is officially Russian territory. He got away with it in Aleppo because the West didn't want to get involved in another endless war in the Middle East, particularly Syria. But these wars taught Putin a valuable lesson. The West simply doesn't care what he does. 
Even if NATO wanted to get involved, he knows he's got ways to squeeze our European allies, with Germany in particular, coming to be heavily dependent on Russian natural gas uh, because they simply screwed up in terms of getting off their own carbon. Plus, if all else failed, well, Russia's still got that huge nuclear weapon pile. So far, the Ukrainians have held up incredibly well. I salute them. But since Russia's army is struggling, I see Putin taking a page from Chechnya. That playbook said wreck major cities with indiscriminate bombing and artillery attacks keep their own soldier death down. This man has committed war crimes before in broad daylight and nothing happened. Looks like he'll do the same in Ukraine, unless somehow the Ukrainians can buck all odds and win. Putin's endgame is not clear. Even if he wins, he needs to occupy a country of 44 million people with his soldiers. A terrorist state takes enforcers. He's got them, but to what end? I hope the peace talks go somewhere. But at this point, I think Putin's just trying to maintain his image as a strongman. I'm not optimistic. Second, China's lockdowns. Communist Party insisted on using Chinese vaccines, and those don't work as well as the American ones. Now they're shutting down all the city again. Just a massive unforced error. The fact that Americans are still buying Chinese stocks shows how naive, naive the West is toward China. More on that later. What matters right now is that they've got a huge COVID outbreak in Shenzhen, which is a crucial city for the whole tech supply chain. But if you're selling these beaten down tech stocks, let me just tell you something. I hope you can get back in later. Very difficult to dump tech and then down, say, 7.5% or 11%, buy it right back. I wish I could be that surgical. Of this particular parade of horribles, the least horrible is the Fed. Because unlike the leaders of China and Russia, Jay Powell is on our side. No, that doesn't mean he's running with the bulls in Pamplona for heaven's sake. It does mean he'll be circumspect about what to do because the economy is more fragile than his hawkish critics let on. How far behind the curve is Powell really, given that we're beginning to see a slowdown in discretionary spending, perhaps because any benefits that were left over from COVID are running out fast or are gone already? Powell's trying to hit the brakes just hard enough so that he can tamp down on inflation while our economy comes in for a fabled soft landing. It can happen, but it won't be easy. Why? Because so much of what's going on wrong, it's out of Powell's hands. The supply chain issues, including the semiconductor shortage, hampering autos, housing, commercial construction, many other industries. Those problems aren't going anywhere, and the shutdown of Shenzhen sure doesn't help. Then there's the earnings situation, or maybe we should call the lack of earnings situation, as it chiefly hurts the NASDAQ companies that don't actually make money when you factor in all the new stocks they create. To, they, they just issue stock to pay their employees. doesn't count. As I've been saying since November, the Fed changed the game when it started talking tough. Unless you're investing in companies that make real things and provide real service and can turn an actual profit, you're going to be in real trouble. Said at the first investment investing club meeting. Started with it. As negative as that sounded, it turned out I was being too generous. While most of the 600 companies that came public in the last year and a half didn't make much money, and the stocks a lot of are single digits, if they made it at all, lots of tech companies did. It's just that in retrospect, easy hindsight, we paid too much for those tech companies. This market's no friend to stocks that trade at high price earnings multiples, even if it doesn't hate them as much as the price to, price to sale stocks, like the single dollar s- stocks. I mean, so many eight, seven, six, five, four, three stocks. Look at them. You've seen them. Oh, and the darlings of the COVID era? Dreadful. Sure, I get that the trio of quarantine uh, winners, uh, DocuSign, Zoom, and Peloton, act as if they're never going to be used again. But DoorDash, Square, Twilio, Snowflake, Airbnb, Etsy, they trade like it's all over but the shouting. These are great secular growth stories where we know they could ultimately make fortunes for shareholders. But even tech companies that are currently making fortunes, Apple's, AMD's, Facebook, they're being killed here. So who wants to take a chance with a flyer like Twilio? Of course, there's always a bull market somewhere. Right now, it's in healthcare and recession. Recession-resistant consumer products plays that can handle inflation. Two groups that scream, slow down. Yeah, healthcare, consumer products. That's just great. 
There's another bull market that's been taking a break these days, oil and gas. I think the fossil fuel names are viable right here tomorrow morning. Profit taking is going too heavy. Uh, at the moment, oil and gas accounts for less than 4% of the S&P 500. I think it could double that without a problem, given its dividend potential. I want to be a buyer for the investing club tomorrow with oil. Still, if there's so much going wrong out there, then why stick your neck out? Why even for a moment debate it? OK, well, I'm going to give you three reasons. OK, these are things I learned 35 years ago. First one is time. Yeah, I'd say that you have it, it, we need to get through this tough period and we will get through it. Even if it don't, if, even if you don't like the outcome from Wall Street's perspective, that matters is that the, let's say what matters is that the war in Ukraine ends, not who wins. We need to see the Fed make its move, and we need stock prices to go down to levels where there are no more frightened sellers who want out no matter what the price, which feels like the case right now. For, uh, we also need, by the way, of course, everyone to believe that the market can only go lower. We need wholesale capitulation, crescendo selling like when, which, when COVID hit, or maybe even when the big banks were almost done in 2009. Only then can get a sustainable rally. So time has to pass, price has to go down, and sentiment has to get even uglier. Wow, I know, tall order, but that's what it takes. Bottom line, fortunately, because sentiment is already so negative, uh, that bottom could come sooner than you think. I'd like to see this lower, and I'd like to see this go out further. Jack in Ohio, Jack. Thanks for taking my call, Jimmy. Of course, Jack. What's up? A buying for the dividend. They have a good track record, and the price is down. KMB, Kimberly Clark. All right. I was going over this with my writing colleague, uh, Matt Horween. When you see it, it yields uh, 4%. It's historically been the right thing to do. It yields almost 4%. Let's be a little cherry. Wait till it goes a little bit lower. But if you wanted to buy some right now, I am not going to be against it. They did not have a good quarter. Um, but if the Fed really slams the brakes on too hard, you're going to say, why didn't Jim say buy Kimberly Clark? Let's go to Richard in New York. Richard. Yeah, Jim. Greetings from snowy Rochester, New York. Perfect. Uh, uh, Jim, uh, thank you for all your hard work and waking up so early in the morning and, and sharing your knowledge with us. Thank you. Uh, the question is on eBay. Do you think eBay stock will go down now because there's a new law requiring sellers to receive a 1099K form, and there's many, many mom-and-pop sellers who are leaving eBay because they're tired of taxes and, and now another tax. And when they no longer sell on eBay, eBay sales will go down and maybe the stock, too. What do you think? Well, I think the stock's kind of anticipating exactly that. It does sell at 12 times earnings. I mean, candidly, in this market, that could sell down even lower, maybe 10 times earnings. So I'm going to tell you, I don't like eBay that much. Uh, it is not expensive. It's, big, it's got there on price. We hear, obviously, that you are saying some things that are going to take it out in time. They'll be bad. But the sentiment on eBay is still too bullish. All right. What we need to mount a sustainable rally is wholesale capitulation over time and lower prices. Everyone needs to believe that the market can only go lower. That's what they just must. Everyone. Everybody you meet on the street, subway, wherever. Airline, airplanes, they must think it's going to go lower. And that's how you get a bottom sooner than you think. On Man Money Tonight, Dutch Bros hit the market last year. So is the Oregon-based coffee chain, the jolt of energy your portfolio needs. I'm checking with the CEO. I like it. Then in this volatile tape, is now the time to look into an industrial like Honeywell? It's got a long and storied history. How about we speak with the company's top brass? And with tech continuing to get wrecked, the best reporting semiconductor company was Marvell Tech. Who cares? I got the CEO. You make up your mind. Stay with Kramer.
Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also, a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Late last year, after hundreds of IPOs and SPAC mergers, we were pretty much done with new issues. I told you to pass on nearly all of them because they were too expensive. And sure enough, the whole class of 2021 has been crushed here, along with a lot of other stocks, along with many other stocks. But there was one IPO that truly tempted me. Dutch Bros, the Oregon-based chain of drive-through coffee shops, which I know and love from my time visiting my daughter out there in, in Ashland. Still, not long after it came public, I told you Dutch Bros was too pricey at 53. Since then, the stock's fallen to 48, which means we were right to wait. But it's never really pulled back that much versus the rest of the IPOs. Why? Because Dutch Bros keeps putting up excellent numbers. When they reported two weeks ago, they had 10% same-store sales uh, and a record 35 new store openings in the fourth quarter, which is pretty fast when you consider that they only had 538 locations at the end of last year. This is a regional and national chain that's taking the country by storm. So even though the market has turned against growth stocks, this one has held up surprisingly well. Should you be a buyer here, even as its 180-day lockup expiration expires today? Let's take a closer look with Joth Ricky. And Joth is the president and CEO of Dutch Bros. Mr. Ricky, welcome to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for having us. It's, it's, it's great to hear. All right. Now, I am thrilled to have you on, Joth. But one thing people need to know is that Dutch Bros was not invented in a day. You guys have been around a long time. 
We just, uh, you know, we just celebrated our 30th uh, anniversary in February. It's, uh, it is a, it's a 30 year new business. Well, let me ask you, uh, because when I discovered Dutch Bros probably seven years ago, I was shocked. I loved it. My daughter loved it. She, by the way, is uh, she's a freeze. I'm an annihilator. I want to do the 9-11. These are all famous drinks out there. You have to believe me. Why take why did it take so long for you guys to start going national? Well, you know, I think that the the over the the decades of growth, I think that to our founders credit, I think they were really managing um, a business, but more importantly, they were managing and protecting a culture. I think that this business was built um, on the backs of an amazing culture and amazing service. And, and they just didn't want to, you know, just take a, a, a mass approach and just spread it all over the place. They were very carefully curating this um, with an amazing group of franchisees and an amazing team along the way. And then, you know, about five years ago, I think that there was this unlock kind of ready to happen. And and um, and that was really when our our, tra- our, our founder, Travis, um, you know, really decided that it was time to take that next step. And here we are. Now you moved into Texas. Now you're going to Nashville. When New York? Yeah, New York is, uh, as I've told our investors in New York, it could be a long time before we get there because we're going to stay very disciplined on the plan that we have in place. We've got a great roadmap. Um, we've talked about 4,000 locations and really – as we think about the geography and where we want to be, we're going to we're going to stay very disciplined in what we want to do. So we should not be concerned about the need perhaps to raise either equity or or sell some debt in order to be able to keep these expansion plans going. I don't think so. You know, we've just we just took out a, a pretty big line of credit with our bank partners. And, and I think we're well suited for financing growth for, for well into the future. So I, th- I think we're in a really good spot. All right, so let's talk about how you're not a real estate play. The Dutch Bros I know were kiosks in malls, basically parking lots. I can't think of a more, uh, uh, let's say, a less expensive, more convenient place to be. You are at the intersection of quality and convenience. So tell us about how you place your stores. Well, I think that you know over the years, I think we've evolved in how we how we look at locations. But you know, we have. Uh, you know, we basically have built out a model. We've used some great technology that's in place today about how you do real estate finds. And, you know, we've kind of evolved from windshield tests of driving around cities and, and saying that would be a great Dutch Bros location to to using, you know, I'd say more automated systems and kind of looking at, at where we could land long term. So as we've mapped out the 4000 stores, we've actually actually mapped every trade zone that we want to go into uh, with where we're at. So we want to be. You know, I mean, listen, this is a this is a traffic and people game. Right. So in order to do some of the volumes we do, you've got to be around those people. And as we've gone into new markets, we've certainly found that our our model has worked really well as we've gone into Texas and Southern California and even into Kansas City and and Nashville. Um, So we're feeling good about the recipe that we put in place to grow. I just want to be sure I heard that you you've already sketched. You've done the work to see where you could be in all these stores. Well, I think to be successful, you've got to have a great plan. And um, and I think part of having a great plan is understanding your trade zones, understanding where you want to go, why you want to go there and um, and what's going to make that successful. And for us to execute, um, you know, we're going to be very, you know, we're going to operate very efficiently and, and be very specific about what we do, when we do it and why. And I think that's been the recipe for Dutch Bros, um, you know, over the last 30 years, and it will continue to be that recipe. We're just going to do it in a bigger scale. All right, one last thing, and it's personal observation. 
Uh, we visit the same when my daughter lived in Ashland. We would visit the same uh, Dutch Bros uh, several times in a year. And they always knew my drink. Now, I don't live out there. They always knew I liked the Annihilator. What kind of people are you hiring that they add that? And this was not just one Dutch Bros because we were addicted. What kind of people are you hiring? So, you know, I think I tell a lot of people, like, we're in the people business um, and we plug into real estate. We are not in the real estate business and plugging people into it. So, you know, our, our, our culture is really built from the ground up every day. And we have now almost 20,000 employees around the country. And, you know, we also grow from within. So our leaders who are out there hiring, our leaders that are out there growing new markets, our leaders and franchisees that are in existing markets, you know, they've been with the company now, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And, and they understand the recipe of the type of people, but also the the development and the coaching that it takes to, to, to bring people up to speed of what it takes to be a great service model uh, for Dutch bros. So we have amazing people. We have an amazing growth system and we have an amazing culture um, that we're driving with. And we just happen to plug beverages into it. Um, gotcha. But really our focus is on development of people. Well, I want to thank you, Joth Ricky, uh, president and CEO of Dutch bros. Give us a lot of, give my daughter and I a lot of good times. I think you're going to give the stock market a lot of good times too. Great to meet you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Look, I know all growth stocks are hard right now. Maybe you just have to think, wait a second, I'll wait till I see it uh, come down a little. But I've got to tell you, you got a big growth plan. You have the right culture. And you know what? It's American. You don't have to worry about China. You don't have to worry about Russia. They have money's back in. Right. Coming up, can a stalwart conglomerate navigate recent systemic shocks? Or will global tensions prove too tough to make investors sweet on Honeywell? Kramer's at the NASDAQ with the CEO, next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Gold Card. with the stock of a company like Honeywell. I think this is one of the best-run industrials in America. But its core aerospace and climate controls for commercial buildings division took a real hit during the pandemic, although they're still very profitable. Even though they've got some enticing growth businesses that are chronically underappreciated, industrial software, warehouse automation, quantum computing, even some of the most important parts of these big new LNG trains, it's hard to get credit for the future in a defensive market like this one, even as we are willing to wait longer term for the charitable trust. 
which you can follow by joining the CNBC Investing Club. After Honeywell reported some mixed results last month, the stock got needlessly obliterated. So what's it going to take for this one to make a comeback? Earlier today, we, we caught up with Darius Adamchak. He's the chairman and CEO of Honeywell. Take a look. Darius, great to see you in person. It is really remarkable. I'm going to get right to it. Uh, I think there's a next frontier Honeywell that we should be talking about because it's not going to be that far. Next may mean two, three years. Differentiated solutions, digitization, ESG for others, building software as a service. Where do we see Honeywell going? And does it move the needle now or should it move the needle a few years from now? Yeah. Well, first of all, great to see you, Jim, in three dimensions. That's exciting. It is exciting. Uh, um, but, you know, within Honeywell, we have something called breakthrough initiatives, which are future-oriented technologies. Some will generate revenue now. Some will generate revenue three, five, ten years from now. And we've had five of these that kind of we incubated as sort of things, key technologies that now have become businesses. Quantum computing is one. UAV, UAM is another. Honeywell Connected Enterprise is yet another, all about digitization, both internally and and externally within Honeywell. So, you know, this is kind of how we operate. We kind of balance and deliver in the short term, but we also have a view for the future. What's going to, where's the world going three, five, ten years from now, and make investments there such that the next person leads Honeywell has a a full stock of technologies that are relevant. I think you've been held back because of this, and yet it should be the opposite. I think if you're only going to be the current Honeywell, UOP, aerospace defense, things that are great, by the way. I'm not trying to say that process controls are bad. I'm not, I'm not saying that uh, right. building technology is bad, but you have to plant the seeds. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I firmly believe that. And, you know, yes, frankly, if I cut off a lot of these future initiatives, we could print higher EPS this year and probably have greater free cash flow. But the fact is I view it as a responsibility of being a CEO to not just plan for today and maximize today. You really have to maximize five years from now and ten years from now. And that's, that's what's exciting. I mean, Honeywell's a leader in quantum computer. Honeywell- well, I've got to stop you there because right. that's a trillion-dollar market. Right. I read it over and over again, Darius. I don't understand it. I'm like, you know, please help me. Right. Well, quantum computing can solve problems that current compute, traditional computers just simply can't solve. Uh, and it's in the area of molecule research or root optimization or cryptography. These are all problems that simply can't be solved with traditional computers. And now we brought together our Honeywell hardware, hard, hardware for the quantum computer combined with CQC, which is a leading software platform. We merged these two companies, and now we have a leading platform. And by the way, Jim, this is real. I mean, this is going to generate double digit of million revenues this year. So this is not some fictionary thing that's going to happen decades from now. Well, your uh, predecessor wrote a great book, uh, Winning Now, Winning Later. This is part of the, the current Honeywell is winning now. Winning later are the things we're talking about. Precisely. We've, we've always, I mean, Dave believed this. I believe in it. You have to have a long-term view and a short-term view, meaning you have to deliver today, but you also have to invest for the future. That's something that I've maintained. and and probably accelerate it, to be honest. Well, I think that at your fantastic investment, I invite everyone to go look at the deck. You actually raise sales growth in the app years. You wouldn't be doing that unless some of these things are paying off. Absolutely. I mean, we've, as you know, in our investor day, we just bumped up our financial algorithm, increased our projected sales growth, increased our margin performance, 
exciting cash flow generation, and it's based on all the things that we've been working on, both in terms of technologies, these breakthrough initiatives that we talked about, but really also a lot of the productivity things. And Honeywell is now a very balanced company in terms of spending a lot of time on generating breakthrough growth technologies, but also maintaining the productivity rigor we've always had through digitization and other initiatives. One of the things that bothers me about Honeywell, the perception. Uh, $4 billion to buy back, $25 billion of firepower. Why can't you spend this money in order to make it so Honeywell's great in 2025 and 2026? What's wrong with that? I, I, I certainly think it's the right thing to do. I mean, you know, Honeywell, I think you have a very compelling investment. You have a company that does our say matches our due. Got a great balance sheet that we've now committed and set a floor for deployment for the course of the next three years. We think our stock is a bargain right now, and that's why we're buying four billion dollars worth of shares this year. And we're going to we're going to grow faster, and we're going to generate more profit. I think the story is pretty complete, and I think pretty compelling. Is aerospace and defense, uh, which I've always loved Honeywell for, uh, in, as important as it used to be? Aerospace is always important. Uh, I mean, it, it's part of our portfolio, and. You know, whether it's commercial aviation, business aviation, which, by the way, is a very important part of our portfolio, and I think is going to be the long-term winner post-COVID. Okay. I mean, it's, I mean that, that segment is doing really well. Really well. And, you know, probably we're a little bit more, um, I would say, cautious in defense and space in that segment, but obviously that algorithm has changed substantially just in the course of the last few weeks. I would talk about something that is near and dear to both our hearts and can be done correctly as opposed to did in Europe. Environmental and social, the goals. Uh, I think a lot of people tell me that their buildings are cleaner. They tell me that they've cut greenhouse gas. I, I always say, did you hire Honeywell? How do you know? That's what Honeywell does. I mean, will we come a time where people are saying, that's not true? Where's the Honeywell? Well, we absolutely need a system of record for, man, uh, for managing and monitoring greenhouse gas emissions. And just to give you a very specific example, what we're doing today is installing in one of our own manufacturing facilities, process plants, a system of sensors which actually monitors real-time emissions and has a system of record in the cloud where we can actually say what the emissions are any given day, hour, year. And it, then it becomes real rather than some back of the napkin computations. We're going to need a system of record, and we want to be the ones to provide that. I, I'm tired of, of companies telling me that they are 100% carbon free. I want to see those numbers because those are the numbers that will tell me if it's real or whether they're just trying to fool us, of which, by the way, Darius, I think a lot of people are trying to fool us. Well, I can't comment on everybody else. I can only talk about what we've done, and you know, I can. We have reduced our by ninety percent our greenhouse gas emissions. We're a company that cares about energy savings, and really excited. What's really exciting, we you know, we talked about this at our investor day. We can be the company that provides the transition from the current hydrocarbon intensive sources of energy to much more sustainable sources in the future. We're just going to have to do that gradually. All right, just current stuff. Uh, Russia pulling out doing the right thing, costly? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it has some implications, but it's the right thing to do. You know, it's a little bit north of 1% of our overall shares. Our manufacturing presence there is relatively small. It's two manufacturing facilities, so it's not big. So, you know, we'll see what happens. We're monitoring the situation. I think it's anybody's guess as to what happens next. Supply chain, raw materials? Yeah, we've actually done a good job protecting that business. You know, titanium is something that we've watched very closely, some of the components there. But 
been a little bit ahead of the game and secured you've sources some, of supply. You've done so some supply of so that. we're we're in pretty good shape there. Uh, care about the the Fed or just going about your business? Well, I think I think the Fed is justifiably raising rates. I think that this is over. In my opinion, it's probably overdue. I'm glad to see it's going to happen. Likely going to happen. Sounds like it's a quarter point, um, and it's going to hopefully slow down inflation because we're all seeing it. It's it's accelerating, and uh, and I'm frankly glad to see the Fed actually raising rates. Last question: Twenty-five billions is up in the air, right? You've given no. I can't ask you to break it here, but you're going to be doing something. Oh, absolutely. I mean, in the near term. We're buying back our shares. We're at a great entry point. But we're going to be doing M&A as well. And one of the things that hopefully our investor trusts is we're going to be doing smart acquisitions because acquisitions, and once you spend the money, it's irreversible. And if the acquisition isn't smart, can't take it back. Darius and Damchak, Chairman CEO of Honeywell. Look at this. Shaking hands. Hey, the new world. Thank you very much. Thank you. Coming up. Headwinds may be blowing fierce in the face of this chip maker. Does Kramer's previous buy call hold up? He's got the CEO, and we find out next. We've got so many beaten down tech stocks in this market, but are any of them worth picking at? You know my rule. When the Fed is getting ready to raise interest rates, you circle the wagons around profitable companies that make real stuff and have cheap valuations. That applies to plenty of tech names now, too, because of this sell-off. Take Marvell Technology, the semiconductor company that makes chips for storage, data center, 5G networks, and even the auto industry. This is a stock we've owned for the Chapel Trust since 2019. When it was trading in the low 20s, it's now at 60, although it's come down huge from the low 90s, thanks to the sell-off over the last few months. Hey, that includes, by the way, an ugly 4.5% decline today as all the semis were for sale. But here's the thing. Marvell actually reported a fabulous quarter earlier this month, a solid top and bottom line beat. That's just magnificent 68% revenue growth. Metro's gave a very bullish forecast for the current quarter. Yet right now you can buy the stock at a $5 discount versus where it was before earnings. Even better, Marvell sells for just 20, uh, 20 times earnings next year. I have to laugh because you shouldn't be able to get it at this price. It's practically a value stock at these levels. But given the internal sell-off, no one wants to hear the good side. Don't take it from me, though. Hey, let's hear the good side. Let's check in with Matt Murphy, the president and CEO of Marvell Technologies. You had a better read on where his company's headed. Mr. Murphy, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim. Great to be here. Thanks. All right. So, Matt, you pretty much hit it on every single line you beat everything. Uh, you got five segments that you trounce. Could you walk us through so that people understand that your company's doing well, even if the stock's been hit? Yeah, thanks, Jim. Yeah, c- c- company's performing extremely well. Uh, if you look at our results, it was a solid uh, beat and raise. That was already off of, you know, very strong guidance we had provided, uh, you know, um, last quarter. So, even a step up from there. And to your point, all five of our end markets were up and performing well, in particular the data center end market, which has just been on fire, Jim. All right, so let's look at the data center. People are trying to figure out why the data center stocks are going down. I come back and say that it has really, at this point, nothing to do with data center. This is still the hottest area. Then the rebuttal is, it must be slowing. Matt, it's not slowing at all. No, not at all. I think on a couple of factors, if you just look at it at the top level, Jim, the largest cloud operators are going to spend significant CapEx in calendar 22 to continue to expand their offerings, whether that's for their traditional Internet services, for cloud computing, 
uh, you name it, all of them um, have very strong uh, capital expenditures planned. And that's fundamentally underpinned, if you look at it, from the semiconductor technology that's required to enable all these services and this build-out. So we see CapEx as being very strong and demand very strong uh, fr from the cloud. And on top of that, we're, we're a share gainer. We're adding more content. We're in new applications. So there's even an accelerated growth on top of the end market growth. Carry infrastructure equally as hot. Yeah, that's where our 5G business is, Jim, which I think, you know, you mentioned early on, you've uh, been in the stock for some time at the early stage of the 5G cycle. In this past quarter in, our, in Q4, that business was up th over 30% sequentially. One, it, sequentially. Sequentially. And then what You're we said quarter for, to quarter. Sequentially. Quarter to quarter in Q4, 5G was up over 30%. And then what we guided for Q1 was the carrier overall segment to be up again. So, uh, and we see actually our 5G revenue continuing to accelerate through this year, including a very strong second half. So 5G is performing extremely well uh, on the basis of our new products, on the content gains we saw in this 5G cycle, and our lead customers adopting our products along with new applications that you're starting to hear about, like virtualized RAN, which is now you're getting the large cloud operators and even non-traditional telecom players like Dell, as an example, getting into this segment. Uh, so there's a whole new rich set of applications that 5G is going to enable that Marvell is helping to power. Does it matter uh, that a major city in China has a, a bad COVID problem? Well, I think more broadly, Jim, if you look at the situation in China, um, the, the, the lockdowns certainly have the potential to have all kinds of disruption, okay, in the electronics industry, in particular in Shenzhen, uh, which I've visited uh, many, many times over my career. It's a city of like 17, 18 million people. So there will be some disruption, but let's just take a step back. Since the beginning of the pandemic, the entire semiconductor industry has been battling with various supply chain disruptions, uh, everything from the initial lockdowns to other impacts, you know, we've seen, particularly in Southeast Asia. And the industry's rallied, and certainly Marvella's rallied, uh, even though we're still con supply constrained. If you look at our organic revenue growth, uh, if you include Infi Plus plus Marvell together, you know, this, we're growing the company in the high 30% range. So we're continuing to get more supply, uh, but demand continues to outstrip it. So a lot of challenges in the world, Jim. It's not going away anytime soon. Do we have to worry about neon, a shortage of neon because of Russia? Well, I think, uh, you know, I look into the deeper into the supply chain. You know, a number of the companies that are critical suppliers that utilize neon have done a fair degree of stockpiling. That's my understanding. And so, you know, to the extent that those stockpiles are, are well positioned, you know, uh, the industry should be able to adapt. But we have to see what happens. I think we're on an unprecedented time, both with respect to what's going on uh, in, in Russia and the Ukraine, as well as the disruptions now kind of coming full circle again in China. So um, it'll, it'll continue to be a, a, a dynamic environment to manage through. All that said, let me just do the math. You're a 30 percent grower selling for 20 times next year. People who say that's expensive, Matt, don't know this business. I've been in it for 40 years. Very rare that you find this kind of dislocation. I, I, I think it has to play out, Matt. I really do. It just has to play out. I don't know what else to say. 
I think so. You know, when we when we indicated the the 30% number, by the way, for the year we're in, that was in our our, our last earnings call. Right. And and if you look at our Q1, we're already tracking ahead of plan. The 30% that we had guided did not even include the acquisition we did of a company called Novium, which we said would layer in an additional $150 million of revenue, which is up huge from where they were. It was a, a private company that, right. that we acquired. And then you look out into calendar uh, 23 and 24, and we see very robust demand from all, the, all of our design wins we've gotten in the cloud, right. in 5G, in automotive. So this is a story that's going to continue for many years. Um, we're just going to stay heads down and focused on executing on our business. Exactly what we need. Well, look, Matt Murphy, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate also waiting because I know you reported last week. President and CEO of Marvell Technologies. Guys, if I hear the technology expensive once more, I look at this company. I can't get this kind of discount on this kind of growth. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Okay, Mad Money's back in. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. It is time. It's time the Lightning Round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Steve? That's on the rainbow comes over. I want to start with Bob in Illinois. Bob. Hey, Jim. Uh, booyah. Booyah. Um, a while back, I bought some uh, new core stock. It held it for a while. Sold it for a nice profit earlier uh, last week. Uh, and now I see on the uh, investment club uh, thing, you, you, you trimmed your position on Nucor. Indeed, um, we did trim. Now, just so we know, and thank you for being a member of the club, Bob, we have such a huge gain in Nucor, and we see opportunities that we want to get ready for if the, if the Fed raises and the market comes down, including, yes, some tech, but most likely in areas that are not tech. Nucor's up gigantically, and we felt like bulls make money, bears make money, and hogs. Joe in New York, Joe. Booyah, Jim. First time caller here. Very good. Um, I got a quick question for you. I have a pick uh, I want to get your opinion on store capital, S-T-O-R, and how does it compare to, say, just putting money in the S&P long term? Okay, well, look, I mean, one of the problems with this is that I could tell you to buy it, or I could say buy realty income, which I like very much. One yields, this one yields 4.5, that one yields 5. The problem is it could yield 5.5, it could yield 6. I see no necessary bottom in these, so I've got to say not yet. Height, price, and time. How about Eric in Florida? Eric. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Wanted to ask you about Snapchat. Buy, sell, or hold. When Square crushes the numbers and stock goes down, Snap, which didn't crush the numbers, it's going down even more. I say no to owning Snap. Oh, my God. Twitter finally bought him. Maybe. How about Richie in New York? Richie. Jim, thank you for having me on the show. Booyah to you. Booyah. Listen, uh, Scott's Miracle Grow is is, is uh, nearing a two year low. What do you think of it? Geez, you know, I mean, garden season's right around the corner. Two point three percent yield, um, twelve times earnings. I I don't know. What can I say? That's an inexpensive stock. 
right ahead of right ahead of, of garden season. I was going to recommend you buy Lowe's because they had a dynamite quarter. L-O-W, you can bet you still get to Scott's Miracle. I need to go to Robin in Texas. Robin. Yes, hello, Jim. Um, I'm a longtime fan of yours. Thank you. And a former Philadelphian. Oh, wow. So, and I have a stock I'm really concerned about it, and I have several questions about it. It's Enterprise Product Partners, EPG. I just finished the work. Thank you, Rusty Brazil. I just finished the work on this. This one has a yield that is almost 8%, that is doing incredibly well, that I like very much. It's right in the center of all the stuff I like down in Houston and uh, down in Texas in general. And I got to tell you, it could beat the numbers. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, Kramer explains why investors who went all in on China should have known better. A cautionary tale on Dancing with Dictators. Next. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. No, we're America, but everything that happens, whatever's bad in Europe, boom, hits us. Whatever bad in China, boom, it hits us. But how about us? Our economy's still hanging in there. Thank Pretty you. Good. Thank you. You're welcome. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. After 17 years of doing this, I can tell you nobody wants to hear that some stocks are simply uninvestable because they're too dangerous. Right now, nothing's more dangerous than owning Chinese stocks, except, of course, Russian stocks. Russia hasn't even bothered to open stock exchange since February 25th. They're not even trying anymore because they're under a financial blockade. China's different, though. Chinese stocks keep finding foreign buyers who believe that you simply must own something from the second largest economy in the world. I understand the sentiment. But I've been warning you away from these names for years and years because they're too risky. All I can say is I told you so. Now, Asia Pacific Equity Research Team at J.P. Morgan just this morning downgraded JD.com, Pinduoduo, and Alibaba. Three Chinese e-commerce stocks that have fallen dramatically out of favor and are facing some serious problems at home thanks to a government that's going back to its communist roots. Now, Alibaba's stock is down 35% this year. JD's off 39%. Pinduoduo has been cut in half. I know we have plenty of hideous stocks right here in America like that. But the problem with Chinese stocks is the peak to trough trajectory, which is far uglier. Alibaba was at 319 back in October of 2020. It's now 77 and change. JD.com is going from $92 in November of last year to 43 today. Pinduoduo is plunged from 212 in February of last year to 25 today. I totally agree with J.P. Morgan's downgrade here. They could have made the same arguments at much higher levels, though. Better late than never. My real beef with these analysts and the ones that were still recommending Russian stocks before the brutal senseless invasion of Ukraine is that these are countries, countries that are just uninvestable, not just equities that are uninvestable over the next six to nine months, according to J.P. Morgan. No matter how much you believe in a Chinese Internet company, it doesn't change the hostile political landscape. Remember, last year I told you to avoid all Chinese stocks for the simple reason that China's authoritarian government made a major change. They spent 40 years promoting free markets, and suddenly they've remembered, hey, they're supposed to be a communist people's republic. What are we doing? China wants to wreck the DD offering just a few days after DD listed. Well, it, 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 they started this. Really, they listed the stock right over here. Well, then they, they did it. They destroyed it. 
I, I wasn't ready for it. If they decide it's a bad thing for business to be too profitable, something we've been hearing a lot of from the regime, you can't put too much faith in anyone's earnings. At the end of the day, China cannot be trusted as a stock market steward. It's a communist country with a limited history of buying and selling equities. Sure, people made good money there for decades, but that's only because their government allowed you to make money. It was part of their development strategy. Back then, China needed to attract foreign investment. Now they're not dependent on foreign investment. The rules have changed. As for Russia, don't even get me started. Third-rate kleptocracy run by a complete psychopath and his cronies. Not an ideal place to put your money. Unfortunately, there are always adventurous money managers who think they know how to outsmart these governments. There are also index funds that try to mimic international indices so they need some exposure to non-business-friendly regimes by default. I always feel like this kind of standard is crazy. Why not create an index that doesn't invest in countries that commit egregious crimes against humanity? Just a thought. I think that anyone who owns Russian and Chinese stocks into this era of naked aggression deserves their losses. They didn't think twice about dictators who effectively have total control over the countries, including the stock markets. There are enough ways to lose money out there. Why lose it in countries where you know that the government offers no rights to shareholders or even to their own people? I like to say that there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.